solo travel stories, tips and truths, it's time for this week's Woman Gone Wandering podcast. It's the moment you've all been waiting for, I'm sure, counting down the days, the hours, the minutes until the Woman Gone Wandering podcast is launched. Well, wait no more because we're here or I'm here and uh, ready to get going with some awesome solo travel stuff for all you travel junkies out there. Let's be honest, my biggest and most loyal listener is of course going to be my mum. Hi mum. But at least it's an outlet for um, speaking into a device that isn't my phone on a very long WhatsApp voice message. Instead, you have the pleasure of listening to me for many minutes at a time. If you already made it nearly to the first minute of this podcast, congratulations that I haven't driven you insane already within the first apparently 53 seconds I've been rambling on. It's going to be an awesome little piece of solo travel joy, this podcast. That's where I want to take it. I know it sounds it sounds cheesy. I can't believe I already mentioned joy in the first few moments, but there we go. Joy seeps into our lives from everywhere. Yeah, anyway, uh, as you can see, I'm already going off on a tangent. It's probably going to happen at some point, so prepare yourself. Um, but there is, of course, a very good reason for doing this podcast. I'm going to explain to you exactly why. Just kick things off. So the idea behind this podcast is to really strip back the solo travel industry a bit for all of you curious, wannabe, wanderlust-filled travelers out there to really talk about what's the story behind the Insta story if we're really being real. Yes, things are fantastic. Yes, they're amazing. Yes, they can be life-changing. But I don't think that we really talk about also the practicalities and the challenges involved in taking that leap to travel alone. It is still quite a big thing for a lot of people. And that's not to say that um, travel and solo travel isn't for everybody. It is for everybody, but everybody needs to approach it in a different way. So the idea behind this podcast is to give some inspiration, some tips, some stories, the good and the bad, mix it up into one big melting pot and hopefully it ends up being a great source of, yeah, some some travel inspiration in your life maybe as you're sitting on the bus or the tube or the train to work or at the kitchen table or I don't know wherever you may be in your life, wherever my voice may be reaching you, hi, first of all. And um, yeah, I really hope that that serves you in some way to build your own solo travel or maybe even just your travel journey. Of course, my blog was designed with female solo travelers in mind, but I really try to make sure that the tips are also relevant for everyone too, in some way, if possible. But of course, I wouldn't be me and it wouldn't be Woman Gone Wandering if we weren't going to take things one step further. So as you may have seen in the little podcast teaser, I will also be interspersing the regular, well, regular episodes. Of course, we try that nothing is ever regular, but is sprinkled with a little bit of magic. But in the non-regular, uh, regular, regular, um, regular, regular 
uh, episodes are going to be interspersed with Woman Gone Wandering With. So as the little edition of With may tell you, those episodes are going to be interview-based episodes with people who I personally find to be inspiring within the travel world. That may be people who are solo travelers themselves. It may be people paving the way for others. It may be women climbing mountains. It may be women um, cooking amazing food. It may be men cooking amazing food. I don't know. I'm going to mix things up a little bit. It's really going to be a portrayal of um, yeah, the, the travel world and whatever that may mean. So from uh, one podcast to the next, it could be that one week I'm really um, focusing on leading female solo uh, travelers. And what I mean by leading, I mean kind of setting the example and pushing the limits. But then it may be the following uh, episode that I choose to interview a local chef whilst I'm traveling in one of my destinations. Next destination is Seville, just in case you were wondering. So for this first episode, since it is the first episode, I thought that it would be best to focus on the idea of beginnings. And speaking of beginnings, I focused and narrowed it down and thought, well, let's just simply focus on when it comes to solo travel or travel in general, but particularly solo travel. Where do I begin? That's always the question. And also, even when I'm talking about my experiences with friends, many say, OK, but where do I start if I okay, if I've got over that hurdle where I think, okay, I want to go on a solo trip, that I can handle it, whether you can is a different question. No, I'm kidding. Um, but once you've gotten over that emotional hurdle of I'm ready, I want to do something by myself, where do you start? Well, everybody does things a little bit differently. So what all I can do really is share how I have approached things and how I approach things now. So the first thing, of course, is deciding on where you want to go. And a lot of factors play into that. First of all, how I get to that destination choice and how I narrow that down a little bit further. So first of all, in the early days when I really hadn't done a lot of travel by myself, the most important thing for me was I need to go to a place where I feel comfortable enough to explore and enjoy it. And that's a really important point, I think, because a lot of people feel like when they take that leap to travel or travel alone, that they have to make it a big one. So they'll fly halfway around the world, maybe to to Asia or wherever, and then they'll get there. And um, the only thing that perhaps that they feel comfortable with doing is uh, a tour, which is all well and good. Both things are fantastic. And if that floats your boat then perfect. But if you're a little bit like me and when you take that leap to travel and you don't really want to be stuck on a tour and maybe you feel a little bit like, I don't want to be with other people, this is the point, um, then perhaps going that so far away is not the best option. Um, and so actually that's how I began. I thought, well, where am I most comfortable to start? I'm most comfortable within Europe. I don't want to fly very far. I want it to be within two hours. I have to admit I'm not the biggest fan of airplanes, which is 
Um, I'm not afraid of them, but I have to say my longest trip, my longest trip was actually to the US. So a good 14 hours, but that was when I was younger um, and didn't think about things dropping from the sky so much. So since then, actually, I haven't done longer than five hours. That's going to change very, very soon. Um, so also then maybe that plays in there for you. So yeah, first of all, I think, okay, where am I going to be comfortable? Okay, somewhere within Europe. Do I want it to be somewhere where less English is spoken or where there's the opportunity um, for English to be spoken a little bit more readily? Um, I would recommend when you start going and traveling alone for the first time, I think it's a good idea to go somewhere where English is readily spoken or a little bit more readily spoken, which means perhaps a city trip and a city trip within Western Europe rather than Eastern Europe um, to start with. Having said that, um, Poland is absolutely fantastic. More on that in another podcast. Um but yeah, I mean, there are other places um, within Eastern Europe where things are a little bit more tricky um, and not everybody um, has enough English to help you out if you get lost or any of the usual kind of travel topics. So yeah, so once you've decided, okay, where do I feel comfortable? Um, and then the next step for me is always, do I want kind of relaxation? Do I want to explore? Do I want to be in the countryside or do I want to be in the city? I think that um, short um, weekend breaks are a really good way to start with your solo travel journey because, you know, um, most people can uh, hack two days on their own at home. So I'm pretty sure that the majority can also maybe extend that by one or two days in, in somewhere they're not as familiar with. So I think it's kind of quite a nice um, way to ease into things. Um, the alternative, which is actually something that I also did, was if you're really, I don't know, if you've been working really hard or you have other things in your life that mean that when you finally get the time and the money to take time off, you want to relax rather than um, explore um, a city, um, which for me actually is relaxing, but it's a different kind of relaxing. It's almost an exhausting relaxing. But if you really think, okay, I want to go um, somewhere warm, um, I also did this too. And I think there are benefits to that um, also as a first solo travel trip because there are now really nice half-board hotels that aren't kind of your run-of-the-mill. You can find some very nice, reasonably priced um, boutique hotels in places like southern Spain or um, Mallorca, which make a really great um, weekend, long weekend or short week break during winter. So you've got those kind of two, two options. And actually, I did both. My first... Um, solo travel trip which was actually um, with work at the time it's a little bit more different I mixed work with with fun um, I went to Prague and that was perfect because it was just a few hours by bus and um, English was readily spoken you know and um, yeah and it wasn't too different from Germany so I had a level of comfort which meant that I could um, explore the city uh, more readily and more willingly. Um, but actually a few weeks later, um, I guess my first solo travel trip was actually to um, a little hotel about 20 minutes outside of Malaga 
with a pool in October and I just wanted relaxation and uh, an easy trip from the airport. So it really depends on your priorities where you end up, but that's where I would always start. I'd say, what are my priorities? And once I've figured out my emotional priorities, then I would go that bit further into okay, um, what kind of climate do I want? What kind of environment, city or country? And I would take it from there. So you've got your emotional priorities, you've got your environmental priorities, so you know I want there to be English or not. I know if I want it to be city or country. Now what? How do you find the perfect place to spend your time, either with this first solo trip or maybe your third or maybe your fifth? Maybe you want to shake things up a bit. Well, I do this in several ways. I, As you know, I'm a little bit of a travel junkie, so I tend to be reading articles about the up-and-coming places all the time um, on blogs in the newspapers. Um, yeah, I follow a lot of people for inspiration. So how do you cut through the noise to find out where it's going to suit you best? So actually, I really recommend narrowing it down to, first of all, a few countries, and then looking at the major cities in those countries and, and reading a little bit about them. And I would always suggest to read a mixture of um, different types of info on those countries. Um, and when I say that, I mean, as a blogger, I, I guess I shouldn't be negative against uh, the blogging community because it's really tough out there. But the fact is, a lot of bloggers are paid to present the perfect life, the perfect travel moments. And um, quite rightly so, because uh, if they don't, then they don't get sponsors and they, they don't get money. So I understand why a lot of people are doing it um, that way. But what that means is um, you may see the perfect photo of the spot, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the reality. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right spot for you. So I would always recommend um, following people that seem similar to you in terms of their interests and their priorities it's no good maybe um, for example I don't travel uh, follow a lot of people who are backpackers because the backpacking times are behind me so I tend to follow people who are kind of late 20s to early 30s um, often working women because I know that their priorities more likely to be similar to mine in terms of what they pick. So first of all, I'd say if you are following people, it's a great resource. Uh, follow me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hopefully you already are if you're listening to this podcast and you got that far. But if you're not, now's the time to follow. Um, no, but in all seriousness, make sure that you're following people um, that you can relate to. And that's really a great source of inspiration either via their Facebook, via their blog, um, via Instagram. I'll come back to that in a moment. But I would really still um, sprinkle that with local blogs of the places that you're considering. Plus, the, old, the classics, I really still believe in 
things like the guardian travel and yes also lonely planet lonely planet is a great orientation for travel trends about what's up and coming and their list of the top places to visit in the next year always really nice inspiration because it could be that you want to follow that list to the T but actually I often find that Lonely Planet's lists are a great jumping off point for finding alternative um, cities actually. So I think one year they had Amsterdam and I thought hmm looks interesting but it wasn't at the time a great fit for me because actually accommodation there is quite expensive um, and then I discovered a lot had been written about Rotterdam and also The Hague and I ended up going on a little Netherlands tour. So you never know where your research is going to take you. And I think that should kind of be part of the fun and part of the pleasure of planning a solo trip rather than a chore. Um, because, you know, it's just not fun to be like bogged down by endless internet searches and going down an internet wormhole. So try and make it as fun as possible. And learning as much about the world and different cultures as possible, even in that pre-planning stage. Okay, so you've done all your research and you've finally settled on your place. Let's take a city as an example. Um, I'll take Seville, just because in my mind right now, I'm very excited about the upcoming trip. And okay, so you've got your city, but that's all you've got. So where do you start? Like, what what do you do in terms of looking for accommodation, deciding on your itinerary? Um, and of course, something that we haven't mentioned, of course, when you're choosing your destination, uh, flight prices and airports, of course, certainly uh, play into that. And I just a little note on that, but I'll talk about flights and all of that kind of thing in another episode. But uh Sometimes I actually decide where I'm going now because I'm a bit more comfortable with where I go uh, on my own. I actually don't put a destination into Skyscanner. I love Skyscanner Everywhere search. So for anyone who's feeling brave from the get-go, um, that's the place to go if you really don't know where to start your trip. So anyway, before I get sidetracked, so you've got your place, you've got your city, let's say it's Seville. What do you do now in terms of accommodation? Well, I'll say one thing to you, and I believe it to my core, which is cross-check, cross-check, cross-check. When the world of fake news and so many paid reviews and all of the rest of it, I think it's really important not to go with the first good review of a place that you find. Um, because it may have a fantastic review on booking.com, but maybe as you dig a little bit deeper, you find out on other platforms that it's not so well regarded. So actually, I have like four major platforms that I use currently, and actually they're quite mainstream. So I don't really tend to use any fancy schmancy stuff. I like to have free cancellation. So I'm a big fan of booking.com for that um, because it allows me to plan trips in advance without having the money and the dollars or whatever euros rather in my account for for all the upcoming trips there's no way I could do it otherwise um so yeah so actually I really like booking.com for that um and I of course um also go on TripAdvisor 
I tend to use TripAdvisor as a way to find new places. I always search their top 10 lists. And if you look in the filter function, you can filter it via hotels, bed and breakfast, special accommodation, and I think apartments. I would personally only use TripAdvisor for looking at everything other than apartments. I think that if you're going to find apartments or book them, the best place is either Airbnb or actually, uh, which may surprise you, Booking.com. I really think that Booking.com is a really great place to find apartments that don't necessarily want to jump on the Airbnb bandwagon. So yeah, so I use TripAdvisor to look at some top 10 lists. I use Booking.com to see where they have free cancellation. And I use Airbnb, of course, if I decide to opt for an apartment. And then I use Instagram. And I'll tell you about Instagram in one moment. But in terms of accommodation, when it's your first solo travel trip, I would really recommend staying in a hotel or a, a bed and breakfast or a serviced apartment with a reception. The reason being because one of the most frightening things or off-putting things, I think frightening maybe is a bit too far, but one of the most off-putting things rather is that idea of, ooh, what if something goes wrong? Or what if I, I don't know, if I meet someone unsavory or whatever, or what if I go missing and get murdered? No, I'm kidding. But of course, I mean, well, I'm not really kidding because of course these things go through your mind. And if you're a paranoid overthinking like me, then they probably have gone through your mind at some point. So I think the best way to get over those kind of anxieties is actually to face them head on, which means um, doing whatever it takes to make yourself comfortable in the first instance. And then when everything runs well, I'm sure that you'll feel more inclined to kind of then stay in an apartment or or whatever, or more remote. So actually, I think that depending on what kind of experience uh, you want, mid-level, midway, I really love little bed and breakfasts. I think you can find some real gems now where bed and breakfasts are more kind of verging on boutique hotels but for a lesser price they're more intimate um, meaning that you know there's probably only five people or so staying there you tend to get to know the host really well the hosts tend to be locals who really know the area and can give you valuable experience and knowledge one such experience of mine was actually uh, in Dubrovnik uh, you can find that little bed and breakfast on my website in sleep and that was fantastic because the owners were Croatian themselves, uh, had lived around the world and traveled around the world for many years. So they really had knowledge of what was important to travelers, kind of, you know, the basics for a good experience. But they were also local, so they could really give you fantastic insights. And they took the time to sit with me for a good hour, just sharing their passion of the area. I think that's really special, and I don't think you always get that in a, a hotel. So I would say that's a really great place to start with a bed and breakfast. So once you've decided on that, and you've cross-checked with Booking.com and TripAdvisor, or maybe you have another website of choice like Expedia. That's not so my thing um, because I've always had success with the others. 
But once you've found, say, the top ones, what I really recommend is, and here comes my little secret tip. Um, I'm Instagram obsessed. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic platform and there's so many uses for it that people don't use it for, actually. But it's my go-to of choice. It'll keep coming up again and again in our podcasts in different ways. Now, I'm not being sponsored by them, but maybe I should be. So once I've found the accommodation, what I actually do is I go into Instagram and I search on places and I type in uh, the place or the street or whatever of the place itself. And the great thing is that when you look on places rather than looking for the name, name and account of the bed and breakfast or hotel or whatever themselves, rather than getting the marketing images, you get the reality. And so you can really see like, is it as great? And, and that's where TripAdvisor also comes in um, perfectly as well, because you can look at the traveler images and always look at the traveler images. Don't look at the marketing images, because as a marketeer myself, I can tell you that we can tend to make even the worst places look heavenly. So it's best to always look at pictures taken by real people and Instagram and the Traveller's Picks on TripAdvisor um, are the best place to do that, in my opinion. And also, while we're talking about looking at the location of the place itself, I would also really recommend, particularly in the beginning stages of your solo travel, to always go onto Google Maps uh, and look at the address on there and look at Street View. I think this is a really great tip because... Then you can have a look at the surrounding area and think to yourself, am I going to feel comfortable walking around somewhere like that late at night? Because if the answer is no, then it's not the right place for you. Why? Because with the exception of summer, where the nights are a lot longer and lighter, things get dark quite early and you want to be able to make the most of your trip. And if you're not so happy with the location of where your place is, you're less likely to spend time experiencing all the wonders of that place as it goes from afternoon to evening. So that would really be my other kind of sneaky top tip is to check out Street View. The other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is when looking at the reviews on TripAdvisor, on Booking.com, wherever you may be looking. Another thing I think is great to do is you can filter those reviews. It's not always clear that you can do that, but you can. And you can, uh, particularly on Booking.com, I'm not sure about TripAdvisor, I think only on Booking.com, you can filter the reviews by the kind of people that went, whether you were a couple, whether it was business, or, perfectly, whether you were solo. And there is, uh, that's really good as well, because I've also found reviews before from honest solo travelers who've written wonderful place, etc, etc. But actually, the street where it's located is poorly lit at night. And I read that and maybe I read that two, three times. And I think, actually, no, this isn't going to be the right fit. So I would always recommend filtering the views to reviews to look at the worst first. <laughs> Uh, read several of the worst reviews to make sure that it's not a fake one. You know, if you see maybe one cockroach one amidst hundreds that don't list it, it's probably that either they just had a really unfortunate moment or it's fake. So I really think it's worth looking through and reading through many 
um, bad reviews to see whether there's any kind of correlation between them. For example, if someone mentions continually that bedding is dirty and you read that seven times, maybe it's best to opt for somewhere else. One thing we didn't talk about though yet is price and of course what you opt for depends on your budget of course in the first instance but after that what I really think is a good idea is to be realistic about the place that you're going. You're not going to get somewhere below a certain price with a certain quality in places like Stockholm, in places like Florence that you would in other countries like Croatia um, or cities like uh, Belgrade and Serbia. It all depends on how expensive the place is in general. For example, in London, you're probably not going to get somewhere for less than £100 a night that you want to sleep in um, alone. It's going to be either outside the city or dirty for less than that. It's just a fact. And the way that you can do that is, of course, by a little, little bit of Googling, um, but you'll see it straight away when you search on the search engines of a lot of property places because you'll notice that a certain range, for example, 100 to 150, there's more properties than, say, 50 to 100. So it's a good indicator of whether the place that you are booking is overpriced or underpriced or Goldilocks style, just right. So once you've found your accommodation and, and you've done that, of course, the next thing is to work on an itinerary. And the way I put together itineraries differs according to where I'm going and how much I already know about the place and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you're a newbie, I come back to my favorite thing. It's Instagram. <laughs> it is Instagram. Um, it's really fantastic because if you type in uh, a place then on the places part of the of the app then you are given lots of post uh, results and if you take a closer look you'll see that they're grouped between top and recent i would actually suggest first of all looking at top if you really don't know the place you know and then of course you're going to see let's say if you're in paris you'll see the eiffel tower and the louvre and everything else so that's one way to do it but if you already have your sightseeing basics, your top landmarks to see, and you're looking for places to eat or kind of urban art or anything a little bit off the beaten track, I'd really recommend going into that recent grouping of photos because there you're more than likely to see fellow travelers um, or locals posting a lot about places that are trending right now and I have to say that that's really become my ultimate source of inspiration actually in the last year. For example when I went to Palermo this summer I already knew a lot about the kind of basics of where to go and what I wanted to do but then I actually looked on Instagram just to see if anybody had taken any pictures of any rooftop bars because I was really keen to do that whilst I was there. And lo and behold, I found one and it was fantastic and uh, then went there. So it really is um, right now, I think, an untapped area on Instagram of inspiration and information. So I would really recommend that. 
And actually, of course, yes, I would recommend local blogs as well um, and international blogs. So I would get your kind of your your kind of normal top 10 from the international blogs and then I would search local blogs for food. I think local blogs are always the best to find food and kind of off the beaten track things to do. I also really love the list on Culture Trip. That's a really um, great website that I use as well for um, kind of top 10 inspiration. I really like that. And so, yeah, so that's how, oh yeah, and of course I'm forgetting, I am still a fan, Uh, some of you may roll your eyes, but I'm still a fan of having a little travel guide with you whilst you're there. So I actually tend to buy a little book um, for every place that I visit, um, as where it makes sense. And actually, I only tend to buy them if I can see that they've been updated within the last one to two years. Anything less than that, and I don't buy it because it's just going to be kind of old regurgitated tips as well. So yeah, so those are my kind of three go-to things in terms of Instagram, blog, and travel guides in your hand, print of all things. So that's it. That's, you have it, how I started off putting trips and itineraries together when I first started out traveling solo. And a lot of these tips I still use today putting things um, together before I go and using as forms of inspiration and I hope that it wasn't too basic for some of you out there you're probably thinking oh my god TripAdvisor I waited 20 minutes to hear her talk about that but I don't think everything is always so obvious and I do think things like the filters are really useful and the way that you approach using these platforms and the reviews and how you look at things really has an impact on how useful they really are. So I hope that some of my little travel tip nuggets have helped you in some way, shape or form. Congratulations if you made it this far in the podcast. And I really do believe that it's all about making yourself in the first instance feeling comfortable. Get the basics right And then you're ready to go on an adventure. So that was it. It was the first Woman Gone Wandering podcast. I think I managed to ramble on for well over half an hour. So wherever you've arrived during that time, uh, I hope you reached your destination. Well, maybe you're still sitting at the kitchen table having a cuppa. And if so, cheers to you. So I really hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you can bear to listen to my voice again in the future. If not, don't worry. I thank you anyway for your time, for giving me a little bit of a chance in this crazy world we call podcasts. And yes, and my hope is that now you're ready to start your very first solo travel adventure and if you're not that's okay I'll keep giving you a nudge throughout every episode until you get to the point where curiosity just spills over so without further ado I'd just like to thank you my fellow wanderers out there or future fellow wanderers I hope you have a wonderful rest of day or rest of evening or rest of week 
and I'm looking forward to speaking to you again soon on the next Woman Gone Wandering podcast.